0: All right. Welcome back to another episode of Credal Catholic. I'm joined today by my friend Katie Logan. Katie, we've been trying to have this set up this recording session for a long time and lots of things got in the way and happened. But now you're finally here in the studio, which is really just, you know, my desk with a mixer and a couple mics. So welcome to the studio of Credal Catholic. Thank you. Uh, Katie, you have a really interesting story, especially because of what you plan to do in the future. You're going to enter the convent of the Franciscan Sisters of Christian Charity. Did did I get that correct?
1: Right, yes.
0: So I really wanna ask you about all of this today, uh, but first let me just introduce you to my listeners a little bit so they get a flavor of who you are and where you've been and and what you've done. So you attended Newman University in Aston, Pennsylvania, which is a Jesuit school? Franciscan. Franciscan school, of course, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Naturally, because you're you're gonna enter a Franciscan order. So uh, you went to Newman University, and then you worked in the Jesuit Service Corps, Jesuit Volunteer Corps, what's it called?
1: Jesuit Volunteer Corps. What does the
0: Jesuit Volunteer Corps do?
1: So the Jesuit Volunteer Corps is an opportunity for those who graduate college. Um, it can be one year to two years. Um, they have different um, communities throughout the United States as well as international. And you live in the community within the cities and you go by the pillars of the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, which is community simple living, social justice, and spirituality. Um, and you also have interactions with the Jesuit priests, and um, it's just an amazing opportunity.
0: So what made you want to do that, and where did you do it?
1: I actually served in um, Detroit, Michigan. And I guess at the end, when I was graduating from Newman University, I really wanted to have a chance to serve others and um, I explored. I actually ended up going to Villanova and talking to one of the campus ministers there, who's kind of like the guru of helping people to figure out um, service options after college. And there was just something that really spoke to me from the Jesuit Volunteer Corps um, with St. Ignatius. And so that is what helped me to choose them. Um, And then Detroit, Michigan, again, is where I served. Um, And while there, I actually worked in campus ministry, and I also helped out in the parish that I joined in their homeless outreach center, um, helping those with um, computers and things like that.
0: Oh, cool. That sounds great. Well, let me round out your bio here because we took a little detour to talk about the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. So you did the Jesuit Volunteer Corps for two years correct? and then decided to go to grad school. Mm -hmm. You went to Fordham University in the Bronx, got your degree in pastoral care and counseling. Right. And then you moved to Colorado Springs right after that or a few years after that?
1: I moved to Colorado Springs after that. Okay, uh,
0: so you've been here for seven-ish years now. You're in my diocese, you attend my parish, and now you are a long-term Medicaid service coordinator. Correct. But you're preparing to enter the Franciscan Sisters of Christian Charity. Yes, I am. So the time with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps did not steer you away from the Franciscans. You, you, you came back to your Newman University roots.
1: I did. <laughs> it never really left, because that was the foundation of um, why I became Catholic.
0: Oh, well, let's talk about that now. So you went to Franciscan, you were not a catholic at the time. What let's talk briefly. What was your what was your background before that? Were you raised christian, protestant, kind of nominal christian or were you a pretty intentional engaged christian when you went to Newman?
1: So I am the youngest of three. We grew up in a presbyterian family. And um grew up playing sports and
0: hockey for you, right?
1: <laughs> well, actually not hockey as a kid. Oh, okay. I grew up playing, gotcha. you know, just different sports depending on the season. Uh, and also helping out as a kid can in my parents' photography store. Um, and it was actually in high school I became involved with Young Life. Um, and But as like a lot of teens, I didn't really have a relationship with God at that time. So actually at the the end of my junior year of high school, um, a traumatic event happened. Nothing to do with my family, but I was lost. And I moved out of state to be closer to my best friend for my senior year of high school and I believe my parents let me go so they would not lose me. Um, looking back, uh, I had fun and good times, but interiorly there was just this darkness which led to poor choices, and God knew he had to reach me. And it didn't matter what was said through the love of my best friend, friends, or family, because I needed to reach the point where, in my weakness, I was most open to allowing God into the space where I felt lost. Um, and I actually, at that time, after I graduated high school, I had moved to Colorado for a fresh start. But of course, I came to realize that when you're facing interior battle, that it takes more than a change in scenery. Um, but it was in Colorado that I look back and I see that God sent me an angel, um, who is the reason that I ended up at Newman University.
0: Wait, so, so back up. So you finished high school and then moved to Colorado or you yes. moved to Colorado for your senior year?
1: Um, I finished high school and then I moved to Colorado. So you were
0: here for a a short period of time before going to Newman. Correct. And when you say God sent you an angel, do you mean that literally? Like there was actually, and you believe that there was an angel in your life, or are you using it like figuratively, like a person who helped you see the will of God?
1: Figuratively. Okay. (laughs) In the sense that, um, um, and I've shared the story before with others that there was this man that I met one night when I was actually waiting for a friend's band to play, and um, with this man, he sat down next to me um, in this place. And within minutes, he had my life nailed to a T in the sense of knowing things about me that other people just wouldn't know. And he shared with me that I was meant for more than I could ever imagine. And I had to trust in what I couldn't see and how that he would only be passing through town for that one night and I would never see him again. But as we spoke, he asked me if I would consider writing to some colleges to play ice hockey, um, which for me was kind of crazy because I barely graduated high school. But he but asked- But you were
0: at least an ice hockey player, right? Yes. <laughs> it wasn't like you yes. had barely graduated <laughs> right. and no. you'd never played ice hockey. No.
1: <laughs> 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 at that time, um, I was actually playing ice hockey. Um, and that was kind of his opening of saying, well, give a chance and see if there'd be any coaches out there who'd give you the chance or the opportunity to play. And after the conversation, I thought that it was kind of crazy um, what had just happened. But a couple of weeks later, I actually wrote to a few colleges and Newman University wrote me back and said that they would give me the chance to play hockey with them and enter in that fall. Um, so that's actually how I ended up at Newman University. <laughs>
0: Very cool. Okay. Now, I, I, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like you were... Path to the Catholic Church was long and winding, and in many respects, mine was the same. So when people ask me, you know, like I'd love to hear your conversion story, or even more succinctly, they'll say, "Why did you become Catholic?" And a lot of times, it's like in passing, and I really have like thirty seconds to give them the story. And how can you how can you possibly pack all this in, right? right. It's not like I can just say, "Yeah, well, there I was uh, on the road to Damascus, and then a shining light." You know, it's it's much more subtle and nuanced in many respects. It's it's much longer. It takes time to tell, and so what I normally tell people is, look, it's a long story. I'd love to tell it to you sometime. I don't have time right now because, you know, we're about to start mass or whatever, uh, or my kids are like running there and I have to go chase them into the (laughs) streets. But but I say like the bottom line is I became Catholic because I became convinced that the Catholic church is true. And that's the only reason to become Catholic in my mind. Mm -hmm. You should not just become Catholic because you're, you know, attracted to the aesthetics or because you think that there's just like a lot of, great sort of cultural practices, et cetera. All those things may be true and good, but the only reason why you should believe what the Catholic Church teaches is if what the Catholic Church teaches is true. And so, you know, I, I'm sure that your your story is also very convoluted, but let's just kind of dissect your four years at Newman because if I'm not mistaken, that's where you became Catholic, right? Yes, it is. And you're coming from a Presbyterian background but had some struggles in high school. I think, I mean, that's a very common thing, right? I had struggles in high school and in college. It's just, it's a time of a young person's life where they are wrestling with big things you mentioned a traumatic experience. Uh, they're wrestling with big things, they're questioning what their parents have taught them. they're being exposed to new ideas and ways of seeing the world, et cetera. So it's really common I think for the sort of six to eight years of high school and college, sometimes sometimes more to to wrestle with those things. So in the four years at Newman, kind of what's the give me the Cliff notes version of how hmm. you became Catholic
1: um, well. For me, I I entered to play ice hockey, and at that time in my life, I had no belief in God. Um, I was angry.
0: So at this point, you are sort of agnostic, I guess, if not atheist?
1: I would say that I was angry with God. Okay. So I did believe that there was a God. I was just angry and didn't want him as part of my life. Not really
0: a God you want to serve. Right. He's out there, but yeah. Okay.
1: Which some people think is interesting because I ended up going to a Catholic college. Yeah. Um, and but, but
0: I'm guessing you weren't thinking, <laughs> is this college going to draw me closer to God? You were like, is this college a place where I can play ice hockey? Right?
1: Yes. That I, I went there to play ice hockey. Yeah. That was all that was on my mind was I was accepted to college and I'm going to play ice hockey. Um, and what actually ended up happening was that, um, at the end of my freshman year due to, um, circumstances and an injury, um, I was unable to play ice hockey and I walked into campus ministry to set up surface opportunities for my team and my life was forever changed Um, through the campus minister, um, a Franciscan priest, the first priest I'd ever met that was not in a movie, um, Franciscan sisters, um, also the first sisters I had met outside of um, seeing habited sisters in a movie. And um, I remember as I was going through college, how one day in one of my classes learning about Dorothy Day Mm. and how um, in my mind, how she was allowed to become Catholic. Even if she had not lived the perfect life, and then through peers inviting me to be involved in campus ministry and to go to events, um, I began to um, ask questions and want to know more about Saint Francis and Saint Clair. And um, I became involved with the Philadelphia Catholic Young Adults, and even went through this Catholic Leadership Institute program. Um, and over time, I just felt this draw to wanting to know more to be coming closer to God through the Catholic faith. And so I ended up going through the Philadelphia Diocese RCIA program. Um, And then I came home to the Catholic faith um, with the Franciscan tradition as my base and my foundation.
0: That's great. So how far along were you in college when you became Catholic?
1: It was my junior year of college. Okay.
0: And we don't need to get too personal about this, but did this cause ripples with your Presbyterian family when you did, or were they just happy that you had kind of come back to God in any way?
1: At that time in my life, um, my family was happy that I had grown closer to God. And I think also that was because um, when I'd entered college, I wasn't really close to my family at that time. Okay. So they truly saw how Newman University and everything that was happening was transforming my life and bringing me back to a place of someone that they remembered.
0: That's good. That's good. I mean, as someone who, and, and Sally as well, is, you know, we both grew up in Protestant families and it's been hard you know, being Catholic when our families are not. And we've had hard conversations and we've had, um, hard, just sort of hard, you know, uh, I guess negative impacts on relationships in many respects, but we've also had conversations in which our family members say, you know, I, I don't exactly, I don't agree with your decision, but I see the fruit of it in your life. And that's at least something that's nice to hear, right? Mm -hmm. That they can, they can recognize that there is good that's coming out of this, even if it's a decision that they don't understand or even agree with. Right. Um, so then you graduated from Newman as we talked about Jesuit Volunteer Corps and then your Fordham University experience and then you moved to Colorado. So what brought you back to Colorado from being in the Bronx? Was it just a desire to uh, you know, get out of the city and see the mountains again? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, for me, um after I graduated, I just I felt I felt a draw back to the mountains and also my sister and her family live up near Denver. And so um I just thought it was a great opportunity to come out here and have a chance to build um, a deeper relationship with her and the family as well.
0: Great. Well, we're glad you're here. We're glad that we (laughs) can meet you. So now let's talk about your um, your call to religious life. So you've been here for seven-ish years, I think, in the springs. And you're planning on entering, as soon as you can, the Franciscan Sisters of Christian Charity. Um, and you're going to be living in Wisconsin, is that right? Mm-hmm. Which in is in Manitowoc. Is, is that where the the order is headquartered?
1: The mother house is up there in Manitowoc. Mother house,
0: okay. And what's the difference between a mother house and a convent?
1: Um, so that was something I've I learned along the way in the past couple of years. But actually, um, a convent is um anywhere where um, sisters may be living together. So that could be an apartment, that could be a house. Okay. Um, wherever there's a community of sisters. And the mother house is the base. So, for any religious order, for um, a woman's religious order, wherever their um, their base is, um, I believe anyway, that is what they would call the mother house. That makes sense.
0: So it's the like the head convent, if you will. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's in you said Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Where where is that in Wisconsin? In, in relation to like Milwaukee, Madison, the cities I would know.
1: <laughs> it's it's north of Milwaukee.
0: Okay, got it. Cool. Um, and so I want to talk to you about kind of your discernment, uh, getting there, and then we can talk more about the order itself. Cause I'm okay. also just, I'm always interested in, in different charisms of different orders and things. I just think religious orders are such a gift f- to the life of the church, um, and love understanding what differentiates one order from another. So we can talk more about that as well, but let's talk about your discernment. So you're, you've been here for seven years. When was it that you first realized that you had a call to religious life?
1: It was actually back in. May of 2018.
0: Okay, so we're now two and a half years ish into that realization. Mm -hmm. And then how long? I guess so. May 2018, you realized you had a call. When did you think you might have a call? Like, I I guess basically, what what was the uh, how long was the timeline of discernment?
1: Well, I would say that. um, Well, the May 2018 was when I received the call. Right to religious life, and that was really the the beginning of the discernment of trying to figure out from the call what God was asking from me during that time.
0: Right. So the, when you say receive the call, that means that you have, that God impresses on your heart, I'm calling you to religious life. Yes. In some way. Mm-hmm. And then you discern sort of what order, where, what's it going to look like, etc. Cloister, right. non-cloister, right? There's all these different...
1: It's a very simple process. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. It sounds, <laughs> sounds very simple.
0: Uh, so May 2018, I guess, how long prior to that were you thinking about religious life and praying about it? Or, or was it, was it a much more condensed thing and just sort of out of the blue, you had this call placed on your heart?
1: Well, it was actually, my story is very interesting. Um, everyone's story is a little bit different. Uh, but for me, um, I had actually gone to holy apostles, um, for our parish for, for the first time at the beginning of that year in 2018. Okay. Um, because before that, I had been working in a residential program um, before I started my current job. And so I worked swing shifts. And so it was really hard to really find a parish that I felt like was was a home, a place that I could join and become a parishioner. Um but after I'd gone to the first mass, um, I learned about the Christ Renews' Parish Welcome program they had here at Holy Apostles, and I ended up going on the retreat. Something about it was just calling me to that program. Um, and I share with others, it was interesting. So it was the first time that I was in a room full of 30 plus women and it was just a surrounding of people who loved Christ, um, had great faith and were there to be supportive of one another. And that was a new experience for me to be around others like that. And after that retreat, I decided to join the formation, um, for welcome. And, um, as I went through that program it was as if God was like slowly transforming my heart. And one of the women who was actually in the program encouraged me to start going to daily mass because I was trying to figure out what is God asking of me? And um, the um, our pastor had shared with me, well, first he said to read the book, uh, Interior Freedom by Father Jacques Philippe and to pray. And so I began to pray and I started to go to daily mass after Easter that year. And I remember thinking at first, like, why do people go to daily mass? I don't understand. Who would ever think of doing that? And after the first week of going to daily mass, all I could think was, how could I never <laughs> go, not go to daily You're mass? Like, I get it now. Wow. <laughs> right? <laughs> it was just very transforming, and it was, it was as if God was just. Um, but piece by piece, things were changing in my life, and um, it was actually within that next month of when I received the call to religious life. Um, I had started to see a spiritual director, um, and it was just during adoration one day where I was frustrated and just trying to figure out, you know, God, what do you want from my life? Um, and that is actually a day where I share with others, um, that, you know, God gave me an answer, you know, that you have to be careful what you ask for sometimes because you'll get an answer and it may not be one that you expect
0: Yeah, or or want. Yeah. Right.
1: Oh. <laughs> uh, so so that is when I actually had received the call to religious life.
0: Great. I love that. It's beautiful. So um, now let's talk about that period between May 2018 and when you decided to enter the Franciscan Sisters of Christian Charity and talk about how that process worked out. I mean, how did you discern what you were called to in religious life? Because there are so many different things. How did you think about sort of your gifts and the charisms of the order that you would eventually enter, et cetera?
1: Well, for me, actually, what really helped in the beginning was that I was just looking for the opportunity to find out, like, what is religious life? Because it can be a little bit intimidating to, there's, there's over 300 orders to try to figure out where you even start, where do you go, and... um I just really didn't have um, anyone I could specifically ask. My my pastor was great in the sense of um, going to him and um, him starting to walk with me in discernment and helping me to figure out to get a spiritual director so I could have somebody walking with me. But to actually take the steps um, for a woman becoming um, a religious sister, I just had no idea. And um, one day I came across this program in the Dallas Diocese in Texas called the Vocation Awareness Program. And it just for me, I love, I'm a planner. I love to plan things ahead of time. And this came up and I had six hours to apply for it. Um, (laughs) or I, I could not go. And so I was just like, okay, God, there's a reason why you brought this across my Google search. And I applied for it. And within one week, I was heading to Texas, driving down to Texas to go to this vocation awareness program, and and so is
0: this like a symposium where you can just find out about hundreds of different orders and try to kind of see which ones you might be interested in?
1: Well, it's actually it's like a career
0: fair for religious orders.
1: (laughs) Well, it's actually set up in a sense of a um, a weekend to find out more about religious life. Okay, got it. So they have it set up where they actually do invite um, sisters and um, consecrated lay in order to, to come to this weekend. And what happens is that they have different, um, meetings and talks about, you know, like what is religious life and about discernment. And, and then you actually have time where you could set up to meet with sisters one-on-one, um, not so much that they're trying to get you to, you know, join their order or look into their order, but just more so that you can learn more about like, what is it like to be in religious life? You know, how did you receive your call to religious life? To kind of have a chance to ask those questions that yeah. you wouldn't be able to ask anybody else. I bet that's
0: super valuable, especially if you were in a diocese, kind of like our own, I guess, where there's not a whole lot of representation of religious orders, right? I mean, we don't, have, we don't have a ton here, so it probably was helpful to go down to Dallas and be able to talk to more people about their experiences in discernment and then in religious life.
1: Well, and the biggest part, too, is that I finally was meeting other discerners. Right. Um, because in the diocese, I had met one or two people but I didn't really have people to talk about um, discernment and understanding where to go. And so this is the first time where I was with a group of people who were discerning and it was just fun to have that opportunity to talk to others. And especially since some were just starting out like I was um, and just having that chance for that peer support with one another. Um, So that definitely was a place where you also received resources and, um throughout that weekend it was just very powerful in the spiritual and prayer opportunities that they had in the mass and um and i know for me that was just another place where i um adoration again was a big part of my my journey because during adoration when i was at this vocation awareness program was where god really spoke to my heart about letting go and forgiving my past um and i finally let go of things i hadn't let go of in many years and it just brought about a freedom that I'd never known. You know, it's amazing how God works in our lives, and he knows when we need to let go of certain things, and he puts people in our lives to make that possible, situations, events, so that he could slowly be transforming us and guiding us, um, and we just have to be open and pay attention to what he's trying to show us along the way.
0: That's beautiful and well stated. So, You're entering the Franciscan Sisters of Mm -hmm. Christian charity. When did you find out about them and how did you settle on them?
1: Um, well, for me, I actually it was going through um the Visions Network actually has something online, which is kind of funny. You know, I guess you would kind of compare it to like an eHarmony, but for religious life, (laughs) where where you'd where you go on there and you fill out information and you 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 go through this whole entire um, online questionnaire, and then at the end of it, it will actually kind of project different possible religious orders, okay. and so it was going through that, and also at the vocation Awareness Program, they had given us a um, religious uh, directory, and so I'd also been going through through that book as well, and it was just that during the process, it finally dawned on me at one point of, you know, I came into the Catholic Church in the Franciscan tradition because St. Francis spoke to my heart so deeply. So why am I not looking at Franciscan orders? So that is what it initially drew me to start looking at the Franciscan orders. Um, and as I was going through the directory, I mean, a, a big part of it was actually going onto websites and looking at their website and just seeing their charism, what they're about, um, the ministries they do. And just taking those opportunities. Um, and, and for me, actually, at first I I was discerning between, um, two different Franciscan orders.
0: Well, tell me more about the one that you settled on, the one that you hope to enter before too long, the Franciscan sisters of Christian charity. I have so many questions, you know, the important ones, like what color are the habits that they wear? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I, I am, uh, in all seriousness, I'm curious, like what's, what's their charism, what's they do? Uh, I am curious to know what, what color the habits (laughs) are, uh, Uh, I mean, I, I assume you'll have to profess all vows of poverty, chastity, obedience. Is that, is that a standard Mm -hmm. thing for all religious life?
1: Um, yes, I believe it is a standard thing for all religious life. Some religious orders might have a, another vow on top of that, but that is the, those are the three main vows of all religious So tell me
0: more about this order that you're entering.
1: Um, so with this order, what really drew me into them was that, um, for them, their charism is to, uh. To live the, the gospel in simplicity um, through their love of God, um, the joyful acceptance of poverty, the love for the church, and a selfless dedication to the service of others. It sounds and, very Franciscan. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is great. Uh, and they, they actually serve in education, um, healthcare, um, parish ministries, and also some other various ministries. And I, I believe they're in, um, like, serving in seven different states right now.
0: That's great. So you didn't tell me what color the habits are. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're actually, they actually wear um, black habits.
0: Is, that a, is it normal for Franciscans to wear brown? Because is is, I know that Franciscan priests here in town wear brown. Most Franciscan priests I see wear brown. Do most Franciscan sisters not? Or is it just, does it just depend? It just varies?
1: Well, with over 300 orders yeah. and <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> it's fair. Um, with many Franciscan orders, they all vary. Yeah, okay. Cool. depending on what their, their history, their background was. Um, I believe that's a part of it. And that's more of what I'll learn sure. uh, when I actually enter and, um, understand more of what religious life is and the history of the order. And, and
0: so once you enter, um, is it a year long novitiate or is it sort of, you know, longer than that, potentially dependent on the candidate, et cetera. Um, when do you actually profess final vows Right, and, and refresh your memory too, is it like you make like initial vows and then final vows, or do you not even make any vows at all because a vow by definition is final? Like, just help me out here. So what's the novitiate look like, and what do you have to do to be a novice, and then how long till you profess final vows?
1: So you actually enter as a postulant.
0: Postulant, okay.
1: Your postulant year is really the year of, um, I believe, that's something I would learn more of, of understanding what religious life is and understanding more about the actual order. Um, So the Franciscan sisters, um, then the next two years are the novitiate years. Um, I believe they call it the, canon- the canonical years. So um, one
0: year of postulancy, two years of novitiate. Correct. Okay.
1: Um, and then after the, the, the two years of novitiate, um, which one of those years is a year where you're really deepening and um, concentrating on prayer and growing cool. um, deeper in faith. Um, and I, I be- love that
0: that's a priority. That's wonderful.
1: I believe that that's your second year um because then
0: second novitiate year or second
1: second novitiate year okay um because then you would if in discernment mutual discernment with the community um as well as your discernment with god um, if you are called then that next year you would take temporary professions
0: so now this this is entering your fourth year you take temporary mm. professions okay
1: um and then the and then if god keeps calling you and the order keeps calling you to discern with them Um, I believe it's six to nine years before you would take final profession. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. I didn't realize it was that long of a time. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because it's like, this is the rest of your life. (laughs) So it's a good thing to be really, really sure of. Uh, And like you said, the mutual discernment is good too, because the religious orders need to make sure that this candidate is going to be someone who's going to be a fit for the order and all that. Um, So the temporary profession is basically... For now, I pledge poverty, chastity, and obedience until I make final vows. Is that the idea?
1: Um, uh, so, with uh, temporary professions, that's something I would learn more about. Yeah. Okay, Fair <laughs> enough.
0: So, when you enter as a as a postulant, do mm-hmm. you have to say anything? Is it just like I'll try to live by the rule of the community and do my best to, you know, follow, etc.
1: I believe, okay. and and I could be wrong. That your postulant year is kind of that year of. Um, entering into the formation and, and really trying to understand, um, what, what you're, um, giving your life over to. Um, and I believe that when you start new is when then you kind of disconnect, um, disconnect from social media Got it. and disconnect from, um, having a phone, um, and different things like that so that you can really, um, be in that place of, um, having that time to, to prayerfully consider and understand this life that you, feel that you're called to entering into
0: sounds wonderful disconnecting from social media and <laughs> not having a phone sign me up it sounds great um well th- this is exciting so i think the next question i have for you is just what does preparation look like and i mean this really along two lines one there's got to be a lot of logistical preparation uh i imagine even simple things right like will you have a vehicle or you know what to do with private possessions that you own because I don't know what you can or can't have when you <laughs> enter even as a novice. Uh, but then second, maybe even well, and I guess another part of the, log- the logistic stuff is, you know, how do you, um, how do you pay for things, right? Because, and we could talk about this more, but you and I have had discussions about outstanding student loan debt and how you have to be careful about bringing that into a religious order because it becomes the religious orders debt once you do that. And so you don't want to saddle your religious order with that. And they don't want to be saddled with that Mm, mm because they don't have much money. Right. So um, there's that kind of logistical preparation, but maybe even the more important stuff is the spiritual preparation. We've talked about some of that with respect to just daily mass and your prayer life, et cetera, but what does that preparation look like? Um, And maybe we can sort of um, end with uh, some, uh, some of your comments on sort of what the student loan situation Mm. is like and how you're kind of tackling that problem.
1: Um, So the preparation, you know, it's interesting because um, my situation is a little bit different um, since um, through work and fundraising, I've been in the process of paying down my debt so I can enter. Um, So I'm in the process of learning all that goes into the actual entrance. Um, I just, I know that I am entering into community, um, into a life of we, it's no longer about myself, um, I know that um, one of the funny things along the way was that I have a lot of uh, friends or family that are in the military and um, not this order, another order. I Some sisters I had talked to at one point, I asked them like, so would you kind of compare entering as a postulant as entering boot camp, you know, in the sense of, <laughs> you know, instead of it being your president? You know, you're looking to God and the superior of the community and obedience. Yeah, yeah. Ed. Um, they're definitely they, parallels yeah. for sure. I mean,
0: you won't be asked to like drop and do push ups, right. right? But,
1: but you know, they, they laugh and they, and actually, the one sister said, you know, that's exactly what it was like because you have to realize that um, you're, you're entering into this community um, as somebody ready to learn a new way of living um, and to be open to that um, in the sense that um, you're given a list of items that you're, um, allowed to bring there. Um, and to realize that the purpose of it is because you're not bringing your world with you. You're letting go of all those things of your life in order to enter into formation, to really discern if God is calling you to this new life. So when you enter, you're entering as, um, someone who's ready to, um, let go of all the things in this life. Um, I know that they, they do say that, um, like logistically that, you you know typically don't want to get rid of everything because it is a discernment process yeah um, to and if see, you discern out right.
0: yeah just like many do from seminary mm-hmm.
1: yeah
0: you don't want to then have nothing right that makes sense
1: so so there is there is a lot to go that goes into it and every order is a little bit different in the sense of how their processes work and um what they're asking of you. And I know for, right. And, and for me too, it's a little different because I don't have the exact entrance date yet just because I'm still working towards that. Um, so I know that as once I do have that date, then a lot more information would come my way in the sense of how to prepare. But I know the biggest part for me has been, um, to really focus on, you know, continuing prayer, um daily mass and meeting with my spiritual director. Cause it's just so important in order to to continue that um uh, up until a day that, you know, God willing I do enter.
0: Yeah. No, that's wonderful. Do you have a ballpark idea of when your entrance date will be? I know it's dependent on some things mm-hmm. like your student loan fundraising, for example. Right. But are you hoping twenty twenty one?
1: Well, I know for me that um there was there was a hope of January. And um if January didn't happen, then the hope would be August of twenty twenty one. That's awesome. So <laughs> yeah,
0: no, we're excited for you. Um, so I've got a, a, we're almost out of time, but I've got a couple things that I kind of want to snowball together here for you. Um, I want to talk about the student loan thing, um, so, but maybe let's let's do that after this next question. What I also want to ask you about is, you know, you and I have had some conversations, um, not on the podcast, about how you had, um, you had some trouble kind of getting. Pointed in the right direction, I'll say, from people in this diocese, and some of my, some of it, some of it might be because our diocese doesn't have a whole lot of women's religious orders. Um, but I think it's it's a big kind of gap in the in in some modern dioceses, right, where there's not like really good representatives for young men and women who want to go on vacations, or vacations, <laughs> not vacations,
1: <laughs>
0: go into vocations. Um, I think we we often end up really emphasizing priestly vocations. Because you know, priests uh, shortage of priests, et cetera. so like let's let's pray for young men to enter seminary, et cetera. And all that's really good, and we should definitely do that. But we also should be praying for young women to enter religious life. And I wanted to ask you, as someone who's who's been through this process recently, as someone who has now received a call, someone who has settled on a religious order to enter, uh, someone who's working towards a date for entry as a postulant, what advice do you have for people who are in their diocese thinking maybe I am called to religious life? Um, how do they pursue that, especially if their diocese is kind of light on resources to help young women in that position?
1: Well, I think that um, for me, the one of the most important parts was to, you know, first go to my pastor or maybe a priest that you trust, or, you know, hopefully maybe a sister, if you know a sister. Yeah. Um, it's just important to, um, when you receive a call or have questions, uh, that you first go to somebody that you can talk to about that. Um, and I think the, the second part to that is then to find a spiritual director. Um, I know for me, I actually ended up, uh, finding the, there's a spiritual director training program up in Denver. And I wrote to them and said, you know, Hey, are there any spiritual directors here in Colorado Springs? Oh, great. Um, so that's actually how I ended up finding a spiritual director because that is, is so important, especially when, um, you're discerning a call, um, to religious life. And, um, I think too. It's it's also finding you know different programs. I mean, again, for me here in Colorado, the closest program I found to just find out about religious life in general was in Dallas, Texas, um, in the Dallas Diocese for the Vocation Awareness Program, because I think that's another part that's really important too. Is just to um, find the opportunities where you can just learn and maybe that is finding a community because along the way I have found different um, religious orders or sisters who, um, if you ask them a question they are more than willing to, to also walk with you, even if, um, they don't feel that you're called to their order or you don't feel you're called to their order. Um, but they're willing to try to help you to figure out um, where you're going along the way and, or just even looking for, if there's discernment groups in your diocese. Um, I know, you know, here, um, actually are they just started a woman's discernment group where we've had the Samuel group for men and women, um, but now this year they just started something called a fiat group where um, they're testing that for the first time of where it's, it's kind of like the Samuel group of general discernment. And then the last um, f- additional four months are actually, they invite those, even if you're not being called to religious life, to come as future possible parents um, to understand more about religious life so that if in the future a child of yours may be called um, to religious life, you may know how to better support them or, or if you are being called religious life, just more information for you in general as well. Um, so just looking for those opportunities and um, the vision network online has some great resources and, and really actually, you know, reaching out to your pastor um, or potentially the vocation director in the diocese, just because um, even if they don't have all the answers, then they may be able to direct you to people who could have answers for you.
0: Perfect. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, Find a spiritual director, talk to a priest you trust, maybe find a sister in your diocese, even if it's not someone who's in an order you're interested in or think you're called mm-hmm. to, et cetera. And then you mentioned Samuel and Fiat groups.
1: Here in Colorado Springs. So
0: it sounds like, so that's unique to the diocese.
1: I, I believe the Samuel group is in some other areas of the country. I okay. don't really know a lot about I'm guessing it. guessing that's
0: a reference to Samuel being called to be a priest or a prophet in like the middle of the night. Pretty cool name. Yes. And then the fiat is for women specifically? Yes, it is. Probably reference to Mary. Let mm-hmm. it be done to me according to your will. Okay, cool. Um, well, neat. Uh so I want to talk to you I guess I have a second part of that question though. So again, this is not unique to young women. This is for young women and men, but I've talked before on the podcast to Father Anthony Sharapa, who's a priest of the diocese mm-hmm. of Pittsburgh, and to our mutual friend Lisa Hunt, who's a consecrated virgin, about their process of discernment and how both of them had to really weigh this um, you know, desire uh, for marriage and family life with a, a desire and a call to religious life. So, you know, was that, was that something that weighed heavily on your heart as well as you were going through the process? And if so, what advice would you have for young men and women who are thinking about the same things?
1: Well, I think for me that, um, along the way that definitely came to mind in the sense of like, am I being called to marriage or religious life? How do you know the difference? What if I'm making the wrong decision? and i know that um at one point one of the sisters i met had shared that um it's human and healthy to have a desire for um family yeah. um and children um and just the the fact that you know but those that are called to the consecrated life um place uh, a god places a deeper desire um to to lay down your life for the church through a vowed life and community um for the spousal love of christ Um, this single-hearted devotion to Christ that is shared with no other person but lived out in a community under the vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience. Um, And for me, that is what's leading me to enter into discernment with the Franciscan Sisters of Christian Charity, um, um, to see if this is where I'm being called, and I'm mutually discerned with the sisters. And I think for others, too, it is is trying to um, find that out, uh, be able to understand that almost very similar to seminary, the reason why you enter into formation is that you're not signing on to a dotted line when you right. enter into the convent. Right, It's to give that opportunity to prayerfully consider um with God, with community, um, if this is where God's calling. And um through those years, you're just growing deeper in your spiritual life. And, you know, the one thing they say is that, you know, don't make discernment a vocation in the sense that sometimes, yeah, that's you That's know, really good, yeah.
0: No, Father Anthony talked about okay. that as well, yeah. <laughs>
1: sometimes you just need to enter because... Yeah once you enter, um, then if God does call you out, what happens is that you've grown deeper in a personal relationship with God. So that will make you only stronger if you are then being called to marriage, um, and families. And, and so, I don't know, I guess, you know, for me too, if, um, to share, um, something that happened to me along my journey too, is the biggest part was, you know, I always, you know, along the way I've been felt that I was, being called to be a mother, um, and with children. And it's just amazing how, when we let God speak to our hearts, we pay attention that he can, um, show us things. And for me, um, what happened in my life was that this was the, this was kind of the last step of, um, can I let go of that? Because that's something I feel really deep in my heart. And I remember for this one month, um, I was attending daily mass and this dad was coming in with a baby. I mean, he kind of was sitting to the left of me, in this pew. And, you know, I would see how loving he was with, with his child and it was just amazing. And then all of a sudden one day I was watching them and I felt this deep pool in my heart saying that I'm being called, um, not to be the mother of one, but to be a spiritual mother to many. That's cool. And, um, and for me, the craziest part was then, um, a couple of days later I never saw them again. Oh Um, so (laughs) it's just, it was amazing for me how God used that experience to help me to go through this process of letting go of realizing again, it's a natural desire, um, to have children, have family, but that, um, he calls certain people to, um, to let go of that, um, in order to enter more fully and deeply into, um, a spousal love with him.
0: I love that. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. That's a great story. And I think you summed that up really well. And I like your points about just, you know, you can't make a, you can't make, a vocation out of your discernment. <laughs> right. right. You have to you have to pursue it and go one direction. I mean the very fact that you were pursuing that pursuing your vocation, you know, I think led to sort of greater clarity mm-hmm. on those desires of your heart and then let God speak to you about those desires more fully. So before we end here, um I, I do want to ask who your favorite saint is. We'll save that for the <laughs> very end because that's a good note to end on. But just give us a, a picture of kind of what you're doing right now as far as raising funds. I'm going to link for my listeners, to uh, to your GoFundMe and your website that talks more about your story and mm-hmm. where you're going, why you're entering religious life, et cetera. And so if my listeners can help you at all, I think that'd be fantastic. Um, but you have student loans. You can't take at least too much debt into the um, order with you. So what's that situation look like if you can, you know, if you're comfortable putting putting numbers on what you, mm-hmm. what you're raising right now and what you need? Let's talk about that. But what is the situation right now?
1: So... For me, I am um, currently working to um, pay down my debt because in order to enter the order I've been accepted to, you cannot have any debt, which is very similar to most orders because they just can't take on um, any kind of financial burden like that. And so um, I have quite a substantial debt, but um, I actually... As most people who have gone to higher (laughs) education do, I mean, like student loans, (laughs) it's
0: it's such a racket. It's crazy. And this is one example of why student loans can be really devastating. I mean, they just, they handcuff people for decades after the schooling is done, but sorry to cut you off.
1: Especially when you were like me and didn't really understand. Sure. I mean, and and that's so many people too. I mean, (laughs) that,
0: that is not a unique story for you. Yeah.
1: Um, So, so actually to date, I have um, raised 47% of um, a $92,000 debt. Um, So it's been amazing. People have been um, so gracious and I, you know, in all that people have um given to me in prayers and financial assistance has been truly amazing um but but yes yeah, so at this time i i continue to work and you know it's funny i tell some people that at the beginning of all of this when i was accepted you know i prayed for god to give me more confidence and again it's one of those things be careful when you ask about that because he's definitely given um me much more confidence in the sense of someone who likes to kind of be behind the scenes yeah. to all of a sudden have to be in a place of, you know, Will you God give me wi- money? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm God willing. I'm hoping that through having to kind of put my situation out there front and center, um, to also be a witness of, you know, how God can call, um, anyone of different backgrounds, different situations, different, regardless yeah, of where, financial yeah. situations. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just how beautiful that is. Um, and that sometimes, it could be a real challenge. Um, but I know along the way I've just consistently received, um, you know, God continuing to tell me that, yes, this is a path that you're on and yes, keep going. Um, and you know, that he will provide the way. Um, but I, I did, I, I started a website, um, and I have a GoFundMe page and, you know, at this time too, I, I tell people, um, from the bottom of my heart that, you know, if anybody wants to talk about discernment, obviously I don't know everything. I'm I'm in the discernment process, but um, if they ever want to hear anything about a vocation story or just a talk or whatever it may be, I'm so open to it because for me, um, to be able to talk about the amazing love of God is something that, you know, from someone who was once broken and saw how God could transform someone's life, for me that has been one of the most joyous parts about this part of the journey was that maybe I have to be front and center, but I have this chance to to share with people how God can change your life when you open yourself up to God. Yeah, that's fantastic.
0: Well, like I said, for my listeners, I'm going to post the link to the GoFundMe. Also mention you said you've raised 47% of the mm-hmm. 92,000. Yes. So that's like 44,000 or so, mm-hmm. my, my public math. <laughs> uh, so when my listeners go to the GoFundMe, you'll see that there's like 10,000 of oh, the gold right. raised, but most of your fundraising has not been on the GoFundMe, right? So that's why the, there's the difference there.
1: Right. And if you actually look in the the section where, i actually wrote i actually have updated in that section about how much, how much I you have, have ra- great raised.
0: cool well I'll, I'll put those links in um and thanks katie for all your time just sharing about your story and your experience and i'll just echo what you said about you know how you're willing to talk to anybody if one of my listeners wants to talk to you about religious life uh they can just email me zach at dot and i will put um put you in touch with katie um or yeah, them in touch with you. Right? What, what, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know what I'm saying? I'll put my <laughs> listeners in touch with you if they want to ask you about your, uh, your story. So before we end here, Katie, who's your favorite saint and why? Or not even favorite, right? There's so many, like <laughs> yeah, a- what, what saint, what saint are you thinking about lately and why? And you can't use St. Francis. You already talked about it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, well, it's, it's kind of funny because, um, at, at one point I was, I was asking different priests about, you know, what book should I read? Um, and um, someone told me that I should read the autobiography of St. Teresa of Avila. Oh, man, I just started it. (laughs) It's on my shelf over there, yeah. And so I had never actually read any of her writings before, so I think right now I just, um, I really like her because of the fact that she's so honest um, and so true in her faith, in her writings, and and I find it so intriguing. I just, you know, one thing I, I, I love about different saints is just when you can Um, see how real they are and how human they are and how, you know, we're all called to be saints and um, St. Teresa Avila is definitely someone who reminds you that um, that it's something that all of us can strive for and we can reach it. And um, she's definitely a very powerful writer. Um, And yeah, I guess She she definitely has been in my mind recently just because of the fact that um I've been I've been going through that book and I'm I'm really glad I am because um, she's been teaching me a lot about
0: (laughs) that's great no I so I'm excited to read more of it I mean I've I've started it and I've been sort of stuck in a perpetual like cycle of starting it I've you know read other Mm -hmm. other books while I've still been sort of starting the Teresa (laughs) Avila one but I really want to get back to it and dive into it Uh, not sure if you know this but Saint Edith Stein uh, became a Christian because of that book the autobiography of I mean, she became a Christian because of the Holy Spirit, right, but the Holy right, Spirit right. used the Holy Spirit be, used that autobiography uh, to teach her. So Edith Stein was visiting some friends uh, when she was before she was a Christian, obviously, and picked up that book off their shelf, read it in a night, and when she finished it, she said, "This is truth," and hmm. she decided to become a Christian. So, yeah, oh, wow. pretty cool. So, and that's you know, it's just amazing how like centuries later, mm-hmm. uh, Saint Teresa of Avila's work is is having that level of influence. Very, very amazing how she was open to the to the work of the Holy Spirit and being an instrument of the Holy Spirit. So pretty cool, great saint, great uh, great uh, exhortation for all of us to pick that up and read it and for me to <laughs> keep, keep going. So thanks for your time today, Katie. I really enjoyed our discussion. Uh, we will be praying for you as you prepare to enter religious life. Hopefully the January thing will work. Um, maybe COVID will complicate that. And I also want to point out uh, that several members of your um, your soon-to-be order have passed away from COVID and some, some others I think are sick with COVID, so our listeners should please keep those sisters in your thoughts and prayers as well, especially for the repose of the soul of I think the eight who have died. Is that right? Ah, uh, yes. So very sad. We can um, we can keep them in our in our prayers. Um, we'll pray for the health of all the other sisters as well. It's got to be hard. I mean, everyone's living in community, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to do social distancing, etc. So uh, we'll pray for the health of all the Franciscan Sisters of Christian Charity. And while we're at it, let's pray for the health of all of the religious orders around the world. Yes. Um, who are probably especially affected by a pandemic and many of whom are i'm sure are working in hospitals as you know healthcare mm-hmm. workers etc we're just uh among among the poor who are hit especially hard by public health crises so um it's a great thing to to do pray for them but thanks katie for your time uh we'll be praying for you and to my listeners i will again put a link in the comments so you can read more about what katie's doing and the money she's raising and her journey into the franciscan sisters of christian charity And if you want to reach out to Katie, just reach out to me, Zach, at credocatholic.com, and I'll put you in touch. And until next time, God bless you.